This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. They tried to make me go to rehab, I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. I ain't got the time, and if my daddy thinks I'm fine, they tried to make me go to rehab, I won't go. Good evening and welcome to Hooked, Joy 94.9's program about addiction. Research shows that the LGBTI community has addiction problems of at least twice that of the general population and we want to explore why and how this has come about. There are many suffering addiction, many more that are affected by those in active addiction and people that are grateful in recovery. My name is David. Hi, and my name is Paul. I'm filling in again for Russ tonight. What are some of the reasons behind this problem? Are there pathways toward recovery and change? How does addiction affect loved ones, family members and partners of those in active addiction? We're not experts in these fields, but a couple of friends who just happen to both be in recovery. And we believe that there needs to be a conversation in our community. Ah, uh, Yes, if you'd like to join us in that conversation, you can SMS us on 0427 join 949 that's 0427 969 or email us at onair at joy.org.au or hooked at joy.org.au if you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress you can call lifeline on 13 11 14 lifeline.org.au or beyond blue on 1300 22 46 beyondblue.org.au Good to have you in the chair again tonight, Paul. Uh, Thank you it's for a shame having me. that um, Russ is still feeling a bit ill, but he is. it's good to have you here. Thank you. And good tonight we have a very special guest. We, we have Simon Ruth from Thorn Harbour Health. Welcome, Simon. Having me. Look, it's great to have you here. You are the CEO of Thorn Harbour Health. I am. Which is the chief dog. Uh, yep, I'm at the, the top. There's a few people above me, but generally I get to, you know, have a lot now, of say. It's funny because um, we were having a chat just before you came in. You've got quite a past because tonight we're going to be talking about addiction services that Thorn Harbour Health um, is involved in now. But uh, if we go back quite a number of years, there was was a role that you had many, many years ago. We first got into this space. Yeah, so I accidentally got a job in a needle exchange in 1991, um, back in the early days of needle exchange out in Dandenong, and that sort of led to a career of me throwing in my science degree Hmm. um, and heading into the helping profession. So it's what led me to where I am today, and I work for... Uh, the needle exchange, I went in to work for child protection and homelessness for a while and then I worked for YSAS for a couple of years, uh, the Salvation Army for a couple of years and then Peninsula Health for mm-hmm. a dozen years. Um, I was on the board of the Peak Body VADA and I was its president for seven years, so that's the Victorian Alcohol and Drug Association. Mm. That, uh, t- back um, when you were 21 years old, the needle exchange, um, was that the very first one? Uh it was one of them. Yeah. Um, at that time, I think there was five in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, Danny, Nong, Frankston, St Kilda, one out north and Footscray. So it was the early days when needle exchanges were being rolled out. Most of the country still didn't have them. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was part of the early HIV response. Ah, oh, so it was because of that back yes. in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, right. I, I didn't even put the two together. But, um, yeah, that would have been a pretty amazing time. Mm. Um, was, it, was it tough? 
Um, it, it was a difficult. It was a difficult time in HIV, and it was a difficult yeah. time with drug users too, because you know people were still overdosing a lot back then. Heroin. It was heroin and speed back in those days, mm. and what were around, and everyone was buying. And um, for a 21 year old, you know, it was interesting to come to work and hear people had died. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been eye opening for yeah. sure. Yeah, which I if mean, I'd worked at the VAC at the time, I would have been having a similar experience. But mm. um, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, because I was going to say it was hard enough for us to lose friends and family and, and other members that were close to us at that time. But um, So it was more of a response to the HIV crisis then than to the drug response? Or needle exchange. So, needle exchange, uh, famously, you know, Jeffrey Robertson hypothetical. Yeah. Um, Neil Blewett was the health minister at the time and he was mm. on the panel and Jeffrey Robertson uh, cornered Neil Blewett. Um, into agreeing that needle exchange was the right way to go to prevent HIV spreading more broadly to the community. And uh, you can still watch it. It's online. Mm -hmm. Neil Blewett said, he said, what would you do, Neil? He said, I'd ask my experts. And he said, who are they? Neil said, well, strangely, they're everyone on this panel. And so on live television, Jeffrey Robertson went from person to person. They all told Neil Blewett to open needle exchanges and... And then we had them, you know, six mm. months later, Australia had needle exchange. We were one of the first countries to do that. Because Neil Biller was uh, seen as a bit of a hero during that whole crisis because there were yeah. countries that were doing nothing. Uh, there, you know. there were many countries and, and places like Scotland um, did some random testing of their drug users, found no HIV, didn't introduce needle exchange. And then two years later, it, HIV was rife through, yeah. through their injecting drug use community. So, um, well, and, and, you know, in America, only as recently as two years ago, Indiana, um, huge. They didn't have needle exchanges in wow. Mike Pence's home state, the vice president's home state, and and then some people tested positive, and suddenly they found they had hundreds of people testing HIV positive wow. because they couldn't get access to clean inje- injecting equipment. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty amazing start to your yeah. career. Um, when we sort of move forward now to Thorn Harbour Health, and we'll talk more about in depth uh, of what you're actually doing there, but uh, firstly. We've had the change of name from Victorian AIDS Council to Thorn Harbour Health. Can you just explain briefly to those that don't know about that, how that came about? Uh, so we've been Victorian AIDS Council for 35 years or, or close to. We were Victorian AIDS Action Committee um, in the first year or so and then we became Victorian AIDS Council and then uh, we, were the, we were the first to start in Melbourne. Mm. Um, we're the oldest AIDS organisation in the country and, and then every state and territory over the coming years got an AIDS Council um, and there's still seven of us. Uh, the only state that doesn't have its own is South Australia, where we provide that function in South Australia. Mm. Um, but after 35 years, you know, the name Victorian AIDS Council was, it didn't have as much relevance to younger people, particularly who don't remember what AIDS mm. is. Um, we were broadening our mandate. We're doing a lot more in drug and alcohol and family violence and women's health and transgender health. Uh, so it was just time to, you know, look at, look at something more engaging for the community. So we yeah. We look to a name that we think pays homage to our beginnings. Um, we've named ourselves after Alison Thorne, who um, famously at a public meeting stormed a stage and grabbed a microphone and demanded a follow-up meeting to form the organisation, and that's why we exist today, because Alison took that action. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and one of our early presidents, a guy called Keith Harbour, who also established ACT UP in Australia, he um, set up a buyers club. So when we couldn't get drugs into Australia, he was mm. importing them and distributing them. And then he died of, of AIDS himself. So he's our, our only president to ever actually die of AIDS in yeah. the history of the organisation. Yeah. Uh, so that gives uh, our listeners the update in that area. But then 
for me, because I've, I've known about the VAC for so many years and suddenly to get my head around where you are now, because now you're providing health services in other areas. Um, I mean, AIDS is certainly over in Australia. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, there's certainly people who still get AIDS in yeah. Australia um, and there's certainly people who still die of AIDS in Australia, but not many. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a preventable illness in Australia now, so we, we can easily prevent HIV in this country. Uh, and if you discover that you're HIV positive, we can get you onto medications which will ensure you live a happy yeah. and long and healthy life. Um, so, you know, worldwide, we're doing much, much better than most other countries around the world. So um, what, what was you were talking about the change of name, the change of the organisation and an evolving um, sort of uh, period that you went through. What uh, made Thorn Harbour Health go down the track of health and addiction and uh, education and all of that sort of... Uh, so yeah, we we had prior to my arrival, which is about six years ago, in the previous strategic plan, we actually had LGBTI health in that plan, though we hadn't done a great deal on it. Um, we did run a small counselling program that saw anyone who walked through the door, and we had had a very small um, drug and alcohol capacity building project running before I arrived. Uh, and then my arrival, my background's in drug and alcohol. Yeah. The, the Victorian government decided it was going to completely reform how it did drugs and alcohol in Victoria for for very reasons uh, and it was an opportunity for us to pitch um, an LGBTI specific drug and alcohol program and the program we offer is very different to what you would receive if you went to a mainstream service. Um, I, I'm having previously managed mainstream services and and knowing who my workforce was and uh, you know having people come in and wanting to talk about their issues you know the first thing you have to do is explain your life um, to the middle-aged heterosexual mm-hmm. counsellors, mm-hmm. cisgender counsellors that we have in most of the other services. So we, we do provide a very different service and a much more wraparound service. And I think for a lot of people, it's a much more comfortable service to enter. And even if we go back 10 years, if somebody was talking about their health issues in a mainstream service, mm. uh, they could have been HIV positive and they'd be, you know, dancing this fine line of whether they actually disclose or not, whether they're HIV positive or not yeah. to the people that they were supposedly seeking advice from. Yeah. Simon, uh, you were talking about the unique... Uh, approach that Thorn Harbour takes in relation to its clientele, being the LGBTI community. In in the addiction space, can you flesh that out a little bit more, you know, in terms of the recovery support that's provided to your clients? To us? So, um, so we have a range of programs. We... Uh Essentially, we have a lot of one-to-one counselling, which is offered in both Melbourne's North and Melbourne South. We have care coordination, which is a case management program. Uh, We run a number of groups, uh, which I think you've had on the show before, Rewired, uh, which is a program for men who uh, have issues around their amphetamine use Mm. and and a lot to do with the way that interrelates with their sexual lives and, and, you know, their lifestyles. Uh, There's a self-help part of that program called Rewired 2.0. When we first set up Rewired, we found that a lot of people wanted to keep going and they they, they needed that ongoing support. So uh, we established a self-help arm on the smart recovery principles for that program. Um, And then there's another one called Drink Limits, which is a women's alcohol program. 
there's also touchbase.org.au, which is our drug and alcohol website, um, which is a national website that looks at all recreational drugs and, mm. and also talks about your mental health and how you take care of yourself and looks at the interactions those drugs have with antiretroviral drugs if you're HIV positive or hormones if you're trans or gender diverse or intersex mm. and you're on hormones. And that and Touchbase, as I understand, the information that's provided, as you said, in relation to the antiretrovirals and hormone treatments, that's that's... A first? Yeah, as far as we know, it's a first. Uh, mm. There are other websites around the world that look at the interactions with antiretrovirals, and, mm. and, and you do need to consider those interactions, particularly on a lot of amphetamine-based drugs where, you know, it might flush the antiretroviral out of your system more quickly, so you need to be yeah. talking to your doctor about that. But as far as we know, we're the only website that looks at antiretrovirals and hormones. Mm. We've, we've never found another website that looks at hormone interactions. Brilliant. Part of that has to do with the fact there's not a lot of research on mm. hormone interactions, and there's not a lot of research on the transgender and gender diverse communities and their hormone use and, and how that interacts with their life. There's a lot of research on women yeah. and the use of hormones, but yeah. there's not a lot of use on the transgender community. So that would is that touchbase.org or...? Uh, touchbase.org.au. .au. Yep. Um, so if there's not a lot of research in those areas, where do you get your information from? So for that website, the Australian Drug Foundation, who are now, I think, the Alcohol and Drug Foundation, uh, gave mm -hmm. us all the base information, and then a lot of it was getting staff to research and contacting researchers and saying, do you know what's out there? Mm. Um, we actually, on the website, we have a feedback loop, so if people are aware of research that we've not talked about on the website, that they can let us know. Um, and then there's some great groups, like there's a, a transgender research unit at Melbourne Uni, um, Ada Chung, who's a doctor up there, is doing a range of research and, you know, we're encouraging her to do research in this space as well. So it's a little bit of research and also a bit of a forum to be able to get information from people yeah. that have had that lived experience yep. as well. And, th and there's a number of, you know, there's a number of important pieces happening right now in Australia. There's chemical practices, which is a piece of research coming out of New South Wales and Victoria. There's the Flux study, which is another research mm. paper coming out yes, of I do um, Flux New study South as Wales. Well. It's an amazing one. Yeah. Um, there's a swash study which comes out that it's all out of New South Wales. Well, uh, but, and there's that's okay. just, you know there's a number of people actually researching our lives. Yeah, it's not a race to find out who can do it yep. in the most locations closest to Melbourne, of course. And uh, the Victoria will have private lives and writing yeah. themselves in coming up very shortly as well. Um, so touch base is certainly worth checking out um, in the case of really harm minimisation, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it, we operate from a principle of harm minimisation here in Victoria and right across Australia. And, and again, that goes back to HIV in the mm. 80s and Bob Hawke coming out because his daughter was a heroin user. Mm. And that also played a part in why we have needle exchange in this country as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I think one thing we uniquely do in Australia is we uh, provide the spectrum of, you know, from safer using through to abstinence-based support programs. And we see ourselves as a spectrum across that. When you go overseas, they often don't. Um, it's one or the other and those two right. parts of the drug and alcohol sector are at odds with each other. Yeah, well, exactly. It's not a test. There is no right answer exactly. Yeah, whatever and, uh, works, really. Whatever works for yeah. whoever it is that is affected by drugs and alcohol. It's funny because in our um, intro, we do mention that our community is certainly has rates of addiction of at least two times. Uh, do you have any figures on the sorts of uh, addiction rates I, we have within I our don't. community? I don't. I was very interested that you gave that exact figure. So. Well, it's sort of at <laughs> least two times because I've sort of gone a little bit more erring on the, the side of caution because I don't want to be alarmist because we know that in certain drug classifications it's much higher, in certain things it might be a little bit lower. Uh, so I don't certainly. know about addiction. We certainly use every drug yeah. at mm -hmm. much higher rates in the general community. 
Um, with some of those drugs like tobacco, you know, we know that you're doing Very yourself high. damage. You know, mm. if you're smoking, you're doing yourself damage. There's mm. no safe way to ever use that drug. Um, we assume that because we use drugs at higher rates that we're probably seeing a lot more harms associated with that. And that's not just addiction. Um, it could be the long-term harms of using mm. certain substances at higher rates. You know, alcohol will do a lot of damage to you if you use it for a long time over an extended period. A lot of amphetamines and cocaine will also do a lot of damage to you if you use them significantly over a long period of time. So um, there's a whole range of harms that go along with drug and alcohol use. It's not all just about dependence and addiction. You know, just if you're binge drinking, the damage you can do to yourself and your community if you're binge drinking on weekends. And, and the people and around you, of course, drunk. your partners, your family. Family others. violence has, has a huge interaction with drug and alcohol use as well. I think it was, you know, surprising because when we started this program, it was about the fact that we weren't having a conversation in our community. Now, you come from a different point because you're working in this area all the time, but I think we were just sort of thinking that most people say, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're gays or they're lesbian or whatever, and they like to have a big party and they like to have a good time all the time. And that almost became a quasi-excuse for mm. that sort of behaviour where people may actually be doing themselves great harm and ending up in bad spaces themselves um uh, what do you think about that sort of thing because you do work in that area uh, rather than peer from the outside of mainstream society yeah. I, th I think we're a difficult community, when it, particularly when it comes to being abstinent. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's a lot of support across LGBTI communities for, for people who choose not to partake, um, not compared to the mainstream community. Mm. You know, if you're coming out of the closet, most of the ways that we connect with each other are around alcohol and drug using venues. Yeah. Um, nowadays, increasingly, we're seeing sporting clubs and other opportunities to do that. Um, but, you know, historically, it was always about going to clubs and trying drugs and, and, and drinking and ammo bottles being passed around and you know there was a lot of drug and alcohol use in our community um, I think uh, you know 12 step programs have been a very important part but they've not been strong enough um, I don't think you can do 30 meetings in 30 days if you only want to go to LGBT um, meetings so we, we need to look for for other opportunities to support our community we need to start having conversations around what is safe drug use and, and how we look after each other. And I think the apps have certainly also made a huge difference to the way we use drugs and alcohol and also made a huge difference uh, to, to drug-related harm. Yeah. You know, go back 20 years, you went to Three Faces, you, you know, you slowly got taught how to use drugs, you learnt from older people. Nowadays we have kids going onto apps, they're walking mm. to someone's bedroom who's offering them an ice pipe and, and, you know, there's not that community protective nature that we used to have. So we're actually seeing very different harms nowadays yeah. associated with the way people are engaging in drugs. Yeah, or even selling through the use of apps and things like yeah. that. It is a, a totally changing landscape, I suppose. How do you think um, Thorn Harbour will look at that sort of thing? Um, well, we, we, we've done a bit of work on that. So we did have an ICE project last year where we, we did a lot of work around app safety and, and uh, talking to people about, you know, what you engage in online and, and being sure that you know what you're doing and you trust who you're with. Um, it, it's a difficult space though, you know. Because it's linked back to our our need for, um, I don't know, connection within our community and whether that's sexual or whether it's just connection anyway. Yep. Um, it's something to do with our sexuality is... Well, it, it's, it's certainly there. Um, you know, you don't want to be the uncool one. You want to try everything. You want to look like you know what you're doing. And, and certainly people use drugs for very different reasons. So, yeah. 
Um, you know, the work we do in Rethink the Drink that was around social isolation and, and we were looking at women in rural and regional areas mm. um, and, and so we were trying to target ways there to, you know, to come up with messaging that would get people to think about their drinking. When you're doing app safety, you're working from a very different perspective as well. Well, that's right, because a lot of LGBTI community members come from complex backgrounds, like you've already raised uh, the issue of social isolation, there's rejection from family, there's mental health issues that arise from that. So uh, perhaps not your typical addict in one sense, because they're coming... coming to you with that background no there's that notion of minority stress and Mm. you know we have a whole range of stresses on us every single day having to come out every day when you meet someone new that the general community doesn't have and a lot of people argue that's what drives um, a lot of our reliance on drugs and alcohol Uh, the rewired programs where did they come from uh, it, it came from community. So it came from um, one of the early capacity building projects we had, when I say early, six years ago, um, and talking to the community about what they wanted and what they thought that they would like from, from programs. Um, all, all the programs we organise are, are driven by community, so we go back to community and ask them what they want and, and certainly rewired the way men use amphetamines and the way men have sex with amphetamines is um, certainly something unique uh, to our community. It's not its not just about gay men and bisexual men, you know, everyone in the community does it, but, you know, it seems to be more prevalent in our communities. Um, and, and again, that is one of those areas that I'd say what we offer is quite unique because I, I think back to the program I used to run um, down in Frankston there, and I don't think that any of my counsellors would have coped with the discussion around... Um, the chemsex. use of, of chemsex, yes. Mm. Um, whereas when you walk through the doors to rewired, it's assumed that this is what you're probably doing and, and so you don't have to go through that phase of wondering if you're going to be judged and how you have to explain yourself because it's highly likely everyone else in the room's done it as well. So it's about working through that together. Which is brilliant. I mean, that <clears throat> removes a lot of the stress straight up. Yep. We were just talking about rewired, which is your eight-week program. How does that eight-week program work? This is for men... Uh, so rewires for men who have sex with men who are using amphetamines or methamphetamines. It's an ICE program, really. Um, and it's a psychoeducational group program. So as opposed to coming into one-on-one counselling, you come in and uh, it's a set group, I think. Um, it may be trialling something different right now, but it's a an eight- or ten-week program where you come in, you learn about what the drugs are doing to you, you learn about the, the way drugs interact in your life and how they impact on your relationships. Um, you, you explore your own feelings around why you're using drugs and what it's doing to you and and hopefully by the end of that program you, you've gained a lot more insight and, and some skills and, and ways to tackle your own drug use and everyone who comes into that program has already recognised it's having a negative impact on mm-hmm. their life. So they're already making decisions. They're in that phase where they're, they're prepared to do something. Pre-contemplative stage? Uh, probably the contemplative stage, right. yes. Yep. Uh, um, or an action stage. So, so they're, yes, they're, they're already um, ready to, to do work on that. And then there's Rewired 2.0 because a lot of the guys who went through that program said we actually want something afterwards to keep us um, on board. And um, yeah. it's not a 12-step program. So, um, and, and it's not necessarily an abstinence program. Um, a lot of people will come to that program wanting to minimise their use mm. and to put their use back into the parts of their lives where it's not doing them damage. Uh, whether that's successful or not depends on the individual. Um, but so a lot of them wanted an ongoing support group to help them manage that, so that's why Rewired 2.0 uh, 
was that? Yeah, when uh, Nurse Betty was on talking about uh, methamphetamine, and there is a podcast, if you go to joy.org.au slash hooked, you'll find there's two podcasts on ICE. And uh, in that first one, he talked about uh, in the first eight-week period um, of Rewired, uh, the participants are able to set goals. It's not about abstinence. It's about trying to figure out um, how it's impacting your life, as you were talking mm. about. And the group sort of after about four or five weeks actually closes and just continues to work through things. Uh, once again, peer group support. Uh, it's, it's a chance for people to find out that they're not alone, I suppose, in addiction. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, uh, as we talked about, you know, our community is not very good at talking about when people are struggling and to, to discover that other people are going through what you're doing um, can be very beneficial. As, mm. as they say, addiction is a disease of isolation. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so it does give you that joint opportunity to particularly find other peers who are going through what you're going through so that you can lean on each other. Yeah, because you were just saying that, you know, it's hard for us to go and find support, but I suppose that's the same for anybody in addiction, whether it's in our community, but at least, you know, we're trying to talk about that on, on this program. Mm. Um, when uh, you mentioned 2.0, 2.0 isn't an absolute abstinence-based, but some people choose abstinence, but they want to explore um, their crystal meth. Yeah, you, cer uh, you certainly can't come in affected. You can't come yeah. in drug-affected to these programs. Um, and I would say that probably a lot of the people who uh, are coming into 2.0 are looking at abstinence as their ongoing goal. Yeah, we had uh, Craig, one of the participants of 2.0, and he came in and told his amazing story of, of addiction and also his recovery through, through this program. So... Um, if you want to find out more about the rewired programs, you can go to the Thorn Harbour Health website, mm -hmm. and you can certainly uh, find out more about it in that. Drink Limits is totally different again. It's uh, so Drink Limits is a program for women, and it's about women's alcohol use. Um, there was some research coming out of uh, New South Wales and Victoria, the SWASH study, um, which is a, a study on women's health and their sexual health and their drug and alcohol health and, and women's alcohol use has always um, been, mm. been coming in at much higher rates um, than the general community and, and for a lot of our community also men's use as well. Much higher rates as they age? Uh, well, it's certainly, you know, al alcohol causes a lot of problems as you age. Women's, we know that women's bodies don't process alcohol as well as uh, to the same rates as men's bodies do. So it does tend to create more harms as you age. Um, and there is research that suggests that particularly for a lot of um, women as they're ageing, if they're socially isolated, that they will turn to drinking as, as a way of coping with that. That's why I say, you know, the the old VAC has come a long way to become Thorn Harbour Health and also to be inclusive of uh, same-sex attracted women and bisexual women as well. Yep, yep. We, we run the Women's Health Conference each year now that gets three to 400 people at it. And uh, we also run the largest transgender health service in the country as well. So we're, we're not the organisation we were six mm. years ago. And I should point out that both of those programs, Rewired and Drink Limits, are free. Free programs. All, all, all of our drug and alcohol programs are free programs. How much are they again, Paul? Zero. Zero dollars. dollars. So they're free, which is free. Um, also, you've got um, some more projects coming up. Do you want to talk about any of those or are they secret at the moment? Uh, any other projects in the addiction space? In the addiction space? Oh, look, we're always looking for opportunities to broaden out and, and try different things. We, we have a local drug action team which runs out of Bendigo where there's, um, which is a, a community capacity building project um, attempting to do things there. We're, we're talking to a couple of rehab providers about possibly trying to get an LGBT re rehab unit up. What sort of um, problems are happening there? 
with rehabs. No, just, well, in Bendigo, for instance. Oh, in Bendigo, in Bendigo, region. that's that's largely because we have an office in Bendigo. So yeah, I know that. But historically, the you know, Country Awareness Network was in Bendigo. They sort of merged into us a few years ago, so we, we actually have staff based in Bendigo. What um, sort of addiction issues are you finding oh, it's, in it's, that area? It's very similar issues to the rest of the community. Um, you know, it is socially, yeah, it's more geographically isolated. You're much more reliant on having a car in Bendigo, so yeah. um, if you're not driving, you, you know, we have a lot of those issues. That you know, being a rural and regional area, there's you know, homophobia and transphobia mm. is much more prominent. Um, Bendigo is part of the. If you map how ice gets into Australia, it tends to go through Bendigo on its way to Melbourne, so they've always historically had higher rates of ice use in Bendigo than you're probably seeing elsewhere in rural and regional Victoria. Um, and, and it is a, a large urban city nowadays, so it Greater is. Bendigo yeah. has 300,000 people, so it, it's starting to see the same sorts of issues you see see locally. Um, if you go into Thorn Harbour Country on the Facebook page, you'll see a lot of videos created by local people about resilience and, and how to you know, contain the role that drugs and alcohol have in your life to a healthy capacity. Yeah, so uh, that covers also the Ballarat area and all of the, uh, basically the northeast of Victoria. Yeah, it's the Department of Health's Loddon Mallee region. Uh, It's a big region. Yes, it's a big region, yeah. But if anybody wants to go to that service, they can participate. Um, It also does a bit of work in Dalesford and the Castlemaine areas. You mentioned a program called Dale. Dale, so dale, uh, dale.org.au is an online support group for married men who are attracted to men, men in long-term relationships with women, probably married to women who are finding themselves attracted and having sex with other men. So it was a Beyond Blue funder project um, from a couple of years ago. We actually set two up. One was uh, for positive guys. They were both looking at stigma and depression and anxiety. Um, the positive one didn't take it off as well, but the Dale one uh, certainly got a huge uptake. Um, the idea for it came from Gammon, New South Wales, which was a gay married men's association up there um, that meets weekly at ACON. And, and I, I know one of the facilitators, and he talked about someone who came to the group and said, we sat in our car um, every week for six months and watched who went in, in and out mm. before we worked up the courage. And they knew that their website got about 2,000 hits a month, yet they only got a small trickle of people through yeah. the service and they were getting hits from all around the world. So we thought there has to be a step between looking at their website and walking in the door and maybe we can fill that through an online uh, community. So you can go to the Dale website, you can join up anonymously, you can participate in group discussions and get some social support there. Um, It's an interesting group of men. They probably tend to be in their late 30s, 40s, early 50s. They're coming to terms with their sexuality. Um, They're often from highly religious backgrounds. Um, and, and you'll often see a lot of alcohol use or, or cannabis use amongst this group as well because they're coping with the fact that they're, you know, they've, they've been married, they've had kids, their life's on track and they're derailing their life suddenly with their desires and they're feeling guilt and, um, you know, not necessarily yeah. wanting to go down the path that they're going down. So it's it's all of that later coming, coming out issues. Yeah, because we talk about, you know, people struggling with their own coming out experience, but a lot of people struggle with not coming out which is you know just as destructive if not more destructive Mm. and you say that there is big alcohol and marijuana yeah like any traumatic event in your life if drugs and alcohol are already in your life um you may find yourself turning to the drugs and alcohol as a a great way to take care of the situation as well um look it's really interesting finding about all of these 
um, different programs that you have and uh, uh, we've got um, so much to talk about with Thorn Harbour Health and the space that they've got into in addiction and also in other health services. Um, is there anything else we haven't covered in the addiction space? Haven't talked about older adults. No, yes, so. I'm one of those. But what, what about <laughs> older adults? Uh, <laughs> I'm listening. You're so, one. So, so in my last life, before I came to VAC or Thorn Harbour Health, um, I was fortunate to do a travelling fellowship overseas and look at older adult-specific drug and alcohol treatment. Yeah. I went to 17 sites across Canada and the US that had funded programs. We had nothing like that in Australia and mm. I came back and we set up a small program at Peninsula Health, which still runs there, the Older Wiser Lifestyles Program. Um, but we see with... And by older adults, we declared them over 60, so we're talking about retirement age. And you see a lot of people who retire who l completely lose their identity. Mm. Um, they, they go into retirement, they may have been a lawyer, they suddenly retire, they've, they've lost the prestige, they've lost yeah. that role in life, they've suddenly got 10 hours a day that they never had before. Yeah. Um, and again, and, and they tend to be two groups. There's the group who... Uh, slowly increase their drug and alcohol use because they're having a drink with lunch and a drink in the afternoon and a drink with dinner which they never had before mm. and they drink at much higher rates and they're doing more long-term damage and then there's the group who fall into depression because they've lost their reason for living they've, yeah. they've lost that purpose that they had uh, particularly if they suddenly become widowed or or their kids have moved away or, or they've suddenly discovered that they're isolated because they're no longer working and then they turn to drugs and alcohol as a crutch and so you've got mm. these two groups developing drug and alcohol issues um, the first group, very easy to deal with. If you teach people what retirement's going to be like and you prepare them for that, you mm. won't see that sort of issue. Um, and the other group's a bit harder, but it's um, it's an incredibly interesting area. We don't refer older adults to drug and alcohol programs. We don't yeah. talk about it. When we talk about drugs in the community, it's about young people, it's about violence, it's mm -hmm. about car crashes. Yeah, um, very much. Older adults are much more likely to be on medications. They're all on between 4 and 12 medications once you're over the age of 65 a lot of those medications interact with alcohol mm. uh, we know that your liver and kidneys don't function as well and so if you're drinking at 65 what you're drinking at 45 you're probably drinking too much um, you needed to decrease your alcohol intake so it's a fascinating area mm that uh, successive governments have been interested in and no one's done anything about it. Yeah. Once again, it's one of those untalked about ones. And, you know, we were talking about an article from last uh, last week's show, which was about uh, the opioid crisis in the United States. It didn't become an opioid crisis until it became an opioid white crisis. So there had been great opioid use, but once it became... A white person's uh, a white problem. person's problem. Then it became a crisis. So oh. this is probably something that's going to a bit of a t uh, ticking time bomb. In that, uh, as it becomes more and more prevalent, people are going to start uh, to go. Yeah, more I think visible, as, as the baby boomers age, it will yeah. start to be talked about a lot more, and particularly for our community, because um, a lot of our community didn't stop using drugs. You see, with a, a lot of heterosexual cisgender people, they suddenly had kids. Yeah. They, they started behaving themselves. They put away yeah. their ways, and and then it's only when they're hitting retirement that they're starting to maybe party a bit more. For a lot of our community, the drug use has stayed there. They've kept going to Mardi Gras. Um, so we, we, we tend to use drugs and alcohol, not only at higher rates generally, but also as we age, we're using yeah. much higher rates, which then puts you at risk of turning to drugs and alcohol uh, as that crutch when something goes wrong in your life. Yeah. Look, it's been great having you here as our guest tonight, uh, Simon Ruth, CEO of Thorn Harbour Health. If people want more information, they go to your website, which is? Thornharbour.org. 
and <laughs> it's a very comprehensive website. It is. Uh, we also talked about TouchBase, of course, touchbase.org.au if you want information about how different um, substances will react with um Antiretrovirals, and of course Dale, which just—I've <laughs> got to go and explore that website. It sounds really interesting. I, I'm not one of those people in that class, but it certainly sounds really good as well. Have we got a message? There is a message here from somebody who's not given us their name, but it says, "My ex wanted me to do rewired." Now I don't say I never participate in recreational use, but I can go for months on uh, without, sorry, for months on end. Sadly, he was addicted to drugs and alcohol, but would normalise his use based on his friend use, often citing the fact that his friends all drink a bottle or more a day and so he had nothing to be concerned about. And this is, I suppose, David, what we were talking about before with Simon, the, the fact that we try and normalise the behaviour in trying to deal with our issues about being gay and, and all that sort of thing. Sounds a little bit like codependence there as well. A little bit of that there. Um, That's a whole other issue. This, uh, this listener also knew about Rewired, which is great. Hopefully mm. you're happy to know that, Simon, that people are actually looking around and finding. Because it's a very confusing space out there if you're looking for help. Uh, there's so many different services. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of different services, but where there's only ourselves and Mary Health are the only LGBTI-specific programs, mm. um, you know. All the rest you need to go in and come out and talk about. But, I th you know, this is an interesting point in that, we, again, we don't talk about drugs and alcohol a lot. And when you're doing early intervention with people, which you do a lot if someone gets arrested and goes through the forensic system, it's about recognising when will I know I've got a problem. So you, when before someone's actually got the problem, you say, so how will you know when you need to come back? And, um, you know, saying, well, well, my friends are worse than I am doesn't mean that you don't have an issue. It just means... You know, maybe you need new friends and you need to, you know... Well, yeah, typically, you know, if you're surrounded by people that are using drugs or using alcohol, uh, they're the people that you need to surround yourself with in order to continue using drugs and alcohol in the yeah, way you that you want, want to, to use those yeah. drugs and alcohol. Um, with the recovery support, what sort of programs... You know, you've got a recovery and care coordinator how does that sort of work in the drug and alcohol space so so that's uh it's largely case management type service it's helping someone get the various aspects of their lives together mm. um but you know a lot of people come into drug and alcohol treatment when everything's fallen apart yeah. uh -huh. um you know the traditional recovery addiction way will be talking about hitting rock bottom and and you often need a lot of help to get out of that mm. um so recovery support and care and recovery coordination is about you know assisting people to find their housing and get their basic needs met and um, coordinate mental health treatment or other treatments, family violence programs that they might want to get into um, to provide that link through to all of those. Um, as you said, it, you know, it's an incredibly confusing sector um, and so is the family violence sector and the housing sector and all the other parts and, you know, often having someone there to hold your hand through that mm. will just make life a bit easier and, and help you get on with your journey of getting it back together. It's great. That's such a holistic approach. I think that's Well, yeah, brilliant. this is for people that have really gone right down the, uh, the path of... Um, well, they've got to their rock bottom, as you were talking mm. about. Um, also, what happens if, if uh, I think my partner is, uh, like in this case, my partner is really having severe problems with drug or alcohol? I mean, the people that are, um, um, are affected by that are enough, but if it was my partner that was affected by drug or alcohol, what can I do myself? Can I seek support uh, through Thorn yeah, you, you can. You, you can certainly come into us. You can go to your GP. You know, you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of someone else. Um, there are 12 step programs for the partners and the family members of people with drug and alcohol yeah. issues. There's Al-Anon and, um, and, and other programs like that. Uh, 
you know, but we would encourage people to, to seek help. If you're finding your partners you stressful, then maybe you need to come in and, and talk through what you can do about that and what decisions you need to take about protecting yourself as well. Because it is a bit of a ripple effect. People that are in addiction do have problems and it tends to ripple out. Now, also, Simon, have you seen Rocketman at all? I saw Rocketman on Friday night. Did you enjoy uh, it? I... Uh, vacillated between loving it and hating it i thought he was fantastic i thought the Mm. lead actor was excellent but there were so many musical numbers that made no sense to me throughout it and and the depiction of the drug and alcohol blur that he went through for 15 years was an interesting way of demonstrating it as well yeah look i've got a little piece that i want to read out uh and it's um about rocker man it's a comment Um, about the actual movie itself. I don't know anything about being a famous rock star or having millions of dollars or writing songs that people sing in the shower or perform at weddings or anything like that. But there were moments in Elton John's biopic Rocket Man where I was him and I often wept because of it. One scene in particular moved me to tears. John, who had been abusing cocaine and alcohol for years, was alone in his house chugging booze and snorting fat rails of white powder. He was muttering nonsensically to himself while pacing around the room. The man who wrote your song, as timeless and delicate a love ballad as there ever has been, now reduced to a lonely, paranoid, angry junkie. To be sure, there's lots of fun singing and dancing going on in Rocket Man, and the costumes and the campiness are a hoot. But what stands out for me is its brutal honesty uh, look at how addiction can take down anyone, even multimillionaire superstar like Sir Elton John. His story is the same as mine and millions of others who have suffered from addiction and it's one that people can understand the torment of those who struggle with substance abuse. Is that what you saw in the movie at all? Yeah, I think so. You know, it was a movie about a person who had no control in their life um, and, they, you know, they were using drugs and alcohol to try and get control back and, and eventually that will always fail you. Hmm. Yeah, whether you're a multi-millionaire or whether you're uh, living on the streets. Joe Blow. Same sort of thing. Yep. Uh, the other little piece of news that I saw this week was about uh, and it came out um, only the other day on the on the 13th, that would have been uh, late last week mm-hmm. uh, state review up to 2,700 court cases after allegations of judges' alcoholism. Now this is in the United States and it's about a judge um, who has been uh, affected severely by alcohol uh, during Cases and they're going to have to review 2,707 cases over the 15 years that this judge actually served in Ohio. And uh, there's 1,200 cases since 2013 when Marshall was first hospitalised from alcoholism. And uh, it looks like um, he's been working under the influence for a long period of time. It's certainly a very interesting story. Once again, somebody who's in a position of power, but, you know, not not a down-and-out person. This man has risen Mm. to become a judge in his life. And uh, this is where his alcoholism has taken him and, uh, and it's probably had an effect on lots of the cases that he's... Um, Hopefully not over. the death penalty cases. No there, aren't aren't de- no, there aren't any death penalty cases okay, good. in there. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed tonight's show and remind you that if you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause you distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or be on blue on 1300 46 36. It's important to move away from self-destructive reasoning. Recovery involves breaking the cycle of addiction, removing the trigger of negative thinking and restoring us to emotional sobriety. One of the greatest highs in life is feeling good about ourselves. Always remember that none of us are alone in this world and that the first step in recovery is to ask for help. 
We want our community to be one of hope and look forward to you joining us next week as we continue to explore addiction on Hooked. Meanwhile, it's goodbye from Paul. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, David. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.